2: It's the list and your boy with Jimmy Van and Sean Ross. With Jimmy and Sean. So pills for your dumb. Make a fantastic song. Make a fantastic song.
0: Me either. What what is it Is this happening? America. <laughs> America.
3: I'm not convinced.
0: We're live!
3: Are we? I don't
0: know. We're live! (laughs) Headband SRS is back to celebrate the birth of America and the birth of Fightful Jimmy.
3: That's right. Our third birthday is this week. I I was going to say off the air or on the air, but I didn't know what day it was. You just said July 7th off the air.
0: I just looked it up. Our first post was July 7th, and I remember that was a bit of a soft launch because i was like guys we gotta have it up because ufc 200 is this weekend that's right lesnar all that stuff there was a a draft coming up who knew how insignificant that would end up being
3: (laughs) yeah well we made it through three years man so give me a quick sum up sum up to me your experience three years feifle.com three years dealing with me how's it been for you man
0: it's been great Uh, It's my dream job. I thank everybody who had something to do with it. It's awesome. I love Fightful. Uh, Thank you, uh, by the way, to our Super Chat donators from last night. It was insane. If you all want your question or statement read on the air, donate a Super Chat. First one right out of the gate from uh, Devin Pudel says, We're live, and we are (laughs) finally live, Jimmy. Yeah, it's
3: unbelievable. All it took was a free piece of software Over that expensive piece of shit that we used to use. And that seemed to make a difference. I want to say one other thing before we get started. And you'll have to bear with me because I have a summer cold this week. But uh, we're doing this on July 3rd. Uh, Rumor has it that Kawhi Leonard is going to sign a two-year contract with the Toronto Raptors. And I really hope that's true so that CP24 can send the helicopter home. Because shame on you, CP24. Do you
0: think I'll get that kind of, of ovation when I come to Canada here in a few weeks? Uh, maybe if Brady makes an animated video, I just want you all to follow me like with a drone or something.
3: Oh, is that what you want?
0: That's honestly a pretty good 24 seven skit right there. Like that, that I'm going to write that one down. I'm going to create a skit around that. One. I might be able to get Brady to wear a GoPro. Uh, hey, you know what? That would be cool. Might just be have people, that. people like crowd surf him following me. And he can get the high angle. There we go.
3: That's possible. That's possible. Now, this is for a 24-7 segment. Does that mean that you'd be the champion?
0: I don't know what the hell. I don't know how it would work out, Jimmy. Because you got to beat Melissa. Hey, Fabe, Jimmy. Hey, Fabe, Jimmy. Come on. Melissa
3: is the Fightful Champion Melissa
0: doesn't show up to work.
3: Brock Lesnar doesn't show up to work, and she's on the Brock Lesnar schedule.
0: Melissa had more days off between last Friday (laughs) and this Tuesday than I've had in the last two months. Melissa is a part timing, whatever the hell it is, Roman Reigns said. A part time player or whatever. Yeah, uh, thank you to Daniel. Daniel, right out of the gate, we got a couple questions, Jimmy. Uh, well, first off, go Indy now says happy birthday, guys. Congrats on your success. Sean Muldown, he says, Happy birthday, fightful. And then Daniel Bill Petrovic says, with the club allegedly staying, what do we see in the next six months?
3: I actually have that on the list this week. Uh, And hell, I guess we'll move ahead. I was going to ask Sean Rossap, Mr. Ear to the Ground over there, what have you heard about Gallows and Anderson? Because I was going to mention how they are being utilized much more now on television, uh, how they've created this heel stable now with AJ. Maybe Finn Balor could even be added. What have you heard about their contract situation, Sean?
0: You know what I've heard? Suspicious radio silence is what I've heard. And that hasn't been the case over the last several months when I've asked. Right. Okay. But all of a sudden, over the last week or so, suspicious radio silence. I, I, I'll elaborate on that with you uh, off the air. One particular point that, that raised my eyebrow about that, that I can't share on the air. But it, it is suspicious because it's a, a situation I've been monitoring pretty closely, that and the revival. And it's been pretty close. I'm pretty quiet. There was one wrestler that says their gut says that they're still going to leave. But, hey, that, that's just conjecture. That's hardly hardly fact.
3: Do you think that they are doing this kind of as an olive branch to Gallows and Anderson saying, look, this is what we're capable of, knowing it's a risk? Because it is a risk if you're, if you're putting you know the shine on them and then they leave. But it's a better opportunity than if you don't use them. If you don't use them, they're leaving for sure. So do you think that that's what they're doing here?
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, and here's the thing. I, I got into it with somebody they were, when I, I actually mentioned Bailey's booking. And I was like, Nikki Cross is the naive, trusting uh, character that they wanted Bailey to be. But she couldn't be after she had all-time classic matches in NXT. Right. And then people say, oh, we'll <laughs> worry about where she is now. And part of her getting booked so badly is why she's so popular now. If being booked like shit is the only way to get people over, that's a problem. You shouldn't have to ruin somebody for a year just so they can get over. That, if, that ain't, it. If that, that ain't was, it.
3: if that was the
0: formula, the entire roster would be over. Damn right. And Gallows and Anderson, they're over again. Yeah. This works again. It's, it is what we've been begging for, Jimmy. And yes. quite frankly, I think if they add Finn Balor to this and make him a heel, yeah. I think it could be one of the greatest stables ever. Oh,
3: yeah. It could be really, really good. And then we've talked about how much fun it would be if they have a stable that wins multiple championships because they haven't done that in a long time. So imagine if they did that. Finn Balor is the Intercontinental Champion. Gals and Anderson win the tag team titles. Maybe AJ wins the WWE title. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That could be amazing. The Heart Foundation used to have all the belts, and it was fun. It was different. So... All right, let's go into the uh, the big news story uh, that broke on June 27th. I know we're a little bit behind on this in terms of this podcast, uh, but uh, I wanted to touch upon it. So, as we know now, Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, they've been named executive directors of Raw and SmackDown, respectively. And the press release that came out said that these are newly created positions reporting directly to Vince McMahon. They're going to oversee creative development and integration across all platforms. Uh, It seemed the immediate initial reaction when this story broke, Sean, was, okay, this confirms that Vincent Mann is out of touch. He's brought back guys from 20 years ago that were real-life adversaries. He completely overlooked Triple H. Triple H got the shaft on this. That was the, it seemed, instant, immediate reaction. Uh, But I feel like things have cooled down, at least when it comes to Paul Heyman. Uh, Bischoff, I'm not so sure, but... uh, my opinion and, and I wrote an article for Fightful Select, the first wrestling article I've written in God knows how long. But, Years. I was, but I wrote an article for Fightful Select giving my thoughts on this because Sean had wanted me to be on a like a breaking news podcast and time uh, wouldn't permit. So I think when it comes to Heyman, this is a I don't see how this isn't a positive when it comes to Paul Heyman, because he's already been at TV every week. He knows the roster from top to bottom, he is intricately familiar with current storylines. Uh, and everybody loves him, everybody respects him, they seek him out for advice. All of the documentaries that you see on the network, they typically will show him, like the Alexa Bliss one is an example, they'll show him helping Talent out with their promos and helping them out with certain mannerisms, and uh, I think he's a a positive addition in that role, and I think that he's going to step in seamlessly, and if this week is any indication, that's going to happen. In the case of Eric Bischoff, when it comes to creative... I think it's a questionable decision, and I think that it is indicative of Vincent Mann being out of touch, because Vincent Mann probably looks at Eric Bischoff as a guy that almost put him out of business you know, 20-plus years ago, but the fact of the matter is, after that run in WCW, with all due respect to Eric Bischoff, his resume is not very impressive. His, uh, his time in Impact Wrestling was a, generally considered a failure. He did what he'd always known to do. He made himself a heel authority figure, and he aligned himself with Hulk Hogan, same thing he's always done and he kind of went out with a whimper from Impact Wrestling, and what's really concerning to me is that he himself, by his own admission, said on his podcast that he did not keep up with the current wrestling uh, landscape. He didn't keep up with, with current talent and current storylines. It's very scary to me that you would choose him to head up creative development for the SmackDown brand, and it does make Vincent Man look out of touch. What do you think?
0: So, uh, I'll, I'll try to, that's, that's a lot right there, but I did hear Paul Heyman is – obviously his influence is already heavily felt. That's not a secret, but it is something I just heard from backstage. Although the writing team, I don't, I'm don't, i told, will not report to him, but it is a, an executive director position. As far as Bischoff, I can tell you that in my experience, speaking with him just a couple months ago, he told me that he thinks WWE's product is too glossy to be unpredictable to where – you don't have the feeling of unpredictability because everything's so just polished and done over. I agree with him. He's moving to Stanford for this job from Cody freaking Wyoming. No way. Moving. Wow. Moving to Stanford. So that's some dedication. Now, (laughs) I don't know how it'll go, but I'll play devil's advocate with you, Jimmy. He mentioned he was a baby when he was in WCW, all things considered. He went from an announcer to running WCW. Yeah. Think about that. And I mean, he was thrown whatever whatever the, thing, whatever the saying is, into the fire, straight up. Into the nitro, so to speak. And he met some success there. After that, he's really not really been involved in anything. Some consulting for TNA, that's about it. I'm willing to see how it works. I'm willing to see how it is. Because if there's one thing I like about Eric Bischoff, it's how much he cares about stakes in a match. He's always talked about why does a match matter to somebody else? So I'm willing to see that. Uh, As for Heyman, I also told you off the air, there were a lot of people that were kind of surprised that Heyman had put himself into a position to be so close to Vince McMahon. (laughs) And, some are suggesting to me that maybe Heyman saw the writing on the wall. Maybe Heyman saw that there was this was a possibility. As far as the Triple H getting overlooked thing, that is something that as of today, as of literally minutes, because Jimmy saw me getting this information, was played very close to the vest. It was like there's nobody that I've spoken to yet, and I'm talking like some real high-up people, that know if Triple H was even offered the thing. Yeah, well, I—, I
3: when, when, you, when you and I talked about this news when it broke, and, and you know what was kind of funny to me is there were some renowned wrestling journalists, Sean, when this story broke, renowned, respected wrestling journalists that spotlighted Triple H and said, I can't believe they overlooked Triple H. I can't believe Triple H was screwed. You and I spoke about this. To me, this is much more simplistic and much less dramatic than that. To me, it's very simple. This would have been a demotion for Triple H. Triple H was not considered for one of these positions because it would be a demotion if he took that job his title currently is executive vice president talent live events and creative alright his position is not uh, talent live events and raw or talent live events and smackdown he's executive vice president of everything when Vincent man is not at the tapings hunter is oftentimes the guy that runs the show and my expectation is gonna be that when Vincent man is not available at tapings and we know that come next spring Sean. Vince probably isn't going to be at every taping. Hunter's probably going to be the guy that Paul and Eric report to, probably, at the tapings. And so to me, quite simply, that's why he wasn't offered this position, It'd be a demotion. I think Vince has much bigger plans for Triple H. Triple H is going to be the heir apparent, and everybody knows it, and that's why. Why would he want to be the executive director of one brand when he is kind of loosely overseeing everything right now in Vince's absence? It's, uh, to me, it just felt like uh, the internet just trying to make something out of nothing. That was my opinion on that.
0: Yeah, and to be honest with you, if you've got a successful format in in the manner in which Triple H does, I don't know if you want to even risk pulling him from that either. It's like it's like when you have a great closing pitcher and people are like, oh, Aroldis Chapman, for example. Cincinnati Reds was a great closing pitcher. A lot of people were like, oh, maybe you should make him a starting pitcher. He's so good. Well, you don't know for sure that that's going to work. You don't know how he'll react to that position but we know that he was one of the greatest closers in baseball so they kept him there and they got his worth there and they knew that he'd be successful there uh from what i understand when triple h wants that type of spot he can have that type of spot but as you mentioned as of now that's kind of a demotion yeah almost the only thing that wouldn't be jimmy is if he has vince's spot
3: well, obviously, and that and that is the plan that he will eventually have Vince's spot. I want to say one other thing about Eric Bischoff because again, even a lot of talent, you know, on on Twitter, we're kind of making these subliminal tweets about going back to the past instead of to the future, and they're making comments like that. <clears throat> one thing about Eric Bischoff that I don't think should be overlooked: he has a long track record of dealing with network executives. Yeah, And Eric Bischoff, unlike Paul Heyman, although Paul Heyman's matured and now he's got his agency, maybe things are different, but Paul Heyman notoriously, going back to his days in ECW, he was a great creative guy, but not a great business guy. Eric Bischoff was kind of the opposite. I mean, yeah, he did well with the NWO, even though he borrowed that from Japan, Uh, and he did well with Goldberg, even though he kind of got lucky, I think, with that. But when it came to dealing with network executives, Bischoff... He was just great with that. He understood how to navigate those waters. He knew how to speak their language. He was really good in boardrooms. And I think that come October, I think it's no accident that they chose him for the SmackDown brand instead of the Raw brand. Because come October, that Fox relationship is going to be WWE's biggest one. What better conduit between the wrestling company and the major broadcast network than Eric Bischoff? And so I think that there's value in Eric Bischoff in that capacity. If I was Vince McMahon, would I make him the uh, executive director uh, uh, heading up creative? No, I wouldn't. But would I utilize him to help me with the, navigate the waters with Fox? You're damn
0: right I would. And so, yeah, and I, I won't go into more detail about the backstage reactions. That's all over Fightful Select right now. But you are mentioning come October, come November. What about... Come June, July, August, September, October, November. You can do it any time you want, Jimmy. You don't have to be an executive director because with Blue Chew, Code Fightful, you can be the executive erector. (laughs) Kudos, man. Kudos. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work, but how about better? How about cheaper? How about faster? How are they better? You can take them anytime, day or night, (laughs) even on a full stomach. How are they cheaper? They're free. They are free when you use the code FIGHTFUL. All you gotta do is pay $5 shipping. How are they faster? Well, because they work up to twice as fast as a pill. They're chewable. Also, they're prescribed online. They ship straight to your door in a discreet package. No in-person doctor's visit. You don't wait at the pharmacy. No more awkwardness. They prepare and ship direct. Cheaper than a pharmacy. You can tell them that you heard about them from us. At Blue Chew. It's not at Get Blue Chew on Twitter anymore. It's at Blue Chew. So let them know. Hit them up. Say, you know what? Heard about how to get my penis super hard by <laughs> watching the Fightful Listen, your boy podcast, Jimmy. We have a whole mess of super chats.
3: Amazing a
0: whole mess. David says happy birthday, fightful. Pleased to see you two back. Yeah, you damn right. <laughs> Michael ends with a thirty GBP super chat. My God. Thank you. Jimmy. Very, I know very all generous. about that GBP conversion. You <laughs> know I do. Oh, he's smart. Smart. <laughs> Brahim says new watcher. Would Eo Shirai make the club hotter? I don't know how she fits there, but you know what? Considering their connection to Japan, Jimmy, now that's... keep keep in mind, she was she was in New Japan, New Japan doesn't have women. You could do a lot worse than having that group talk for her. Oh yeah, it would elevate her immediately. I, I think that I don't think that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Tim Traver, one of our, our longest, most loyal subscribers, says gonna keep plugging you guys in my live shows. Everybody at Fightful, God bless you, thank you. Wildboy87 says, Thank you, Jimmy, for creating Fightful. Thank you, SRS and the entire Fightful family for your hard work and dedication. Jimmy, you're getting some love this week. I wish getting... it was our birthday every week, Sean. I do, too. You know what? <laughs> I used to do that on Facebook. I would troll people and change my birthday. It was a good time. Got a lot of birthday wishes. One time, a couple, no, it was a couple times, people sent me cards. Really? Yeah, and I had people saying, Oh, well, when it's really your birthday, nobody will care. And I'm like, who gives a shit? i got like 10 birthdays now. And what's the matter? Okay. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. We're not done, Jimmy. we're not done. Who would win in a fatal four-way between Alex Palowski, Warren Hayes, Jeff Hawkins, and Jimmy?
3: In a fatal four-way.
0: Now, now we got to talk about geographical locations here. Jimmy I was going to say, that
3: it, it depends on if they still work for FIFA or not, because then it's an easy one.
0: Jimmy, Jimmy's in Toronto. Warren is in, like... Montreal, I think, isn't he? Montreal, somewhere. Yeah. Alex in Milwaukee. Jeff in L.A. So we're, we're getting some major markets here.
3: We've got to build this. They're one. coming to me. I'm not flying anywhere for that nonsense.
0: So you're going to have the hometown advantage, although Warren is probably familiar with the terrain. Oh, yeah, it's close for him, too. He could hop on a train five hours. So that's a benefit. Jeff's dealing with jet lag. That ain't happening. And Jeff... <laughs> Jeff ain't ever popped the crowd, whether it's stand-up comedy or anything. Oh, nice, nice. Like, Ale- I Alex is Jeff probably. Up. I was gonna
3: say Alex is probably dealing with the connecting flight coming into Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, he's he's dealing with it too. I mean, let's be honest. Alex wants to work one night a week this fall, so he ain't gonna put in the training time for it. <laughs> it's down to you and Warren. Isn't Warren already dead? I I read something. Warren's dead. Jimmy wins.
3: There you go. There. <laughs> I read something about that. I'm not familiar, but I read something. I saw a graphic from Weekend at Bernie's, and they put Warren's face on the guy.
0: <laughs> so, I don't know. I want to. Uh, Joe Shaver says, Bobby Lashley's Twitter <laughs> video. Any blowback? I don't know what you're talking about. Hit me up with some more details, and I'll let you know. All right, Jimmy.
3: Does he mean the one from SmackDown where he said, uh, "I'm going to put him in the morgue"?
0: I, I, yeah, I don't think so. They they seem to be cool with that. Oh yeah, and we're gonna we will get
3: get to that in a minute. I want to one more thing I want to say about this old Heyman Bischoff news, and then it's going to take us into, into TV this week. Uh, for me, the biggest takeaway from this entire thing was the end of the first paragraph of the press release, which said that they're going to still report directly to Bisman McMahon. Yeah. Uh, because that means that ultimately, you know, things are still kind of going to live and die by Vince McMahon. And when you look at TV this week, especially Raw, because from what I understand, Bischoff hasn't started yet. Uh, even though SmackDown, there were still positives to the show. Raw, there were definite, obvious changes. Aside from the commercial break thing, Sean, and we could go on and on about that, that's clearly Vince McMahon's fingerprint. Uh, they're going to run out of creative ways of doing it, restarting matches. Not going to waste time on it because it's stupid, and they could, they could get there in a much easier way. But uh, one thing that I found very noticeable that I want to talk to you about, and I want to see if you've heard anything about this, they pulled back the reins on the PG era this week. Yeah. And I found that very interesting. I mean, first you had Corey Graves say, holy shit, uncensored. And I saw a few people uh, on social media that were saying, "I can't believe the censors missed that one." They have a seven-second delay.
0: Yeah, there was. It was meant to miss.
3: It was meant to miss. Exactly right. It was meant to miss. Then you had the usage of the word "bitch," uh, both on Raw and on SmackDown. Then you had the pregnancy storyline with Mike and Maria. Which don't tell me that didn't have Paul Heyman's fingerprints on it, man. I mean, I was L-
0: all this show did.
3: I was going to call Maria Beulah, you know. With, <laughs> The way that that was playing out. Then you add on SmackDown, as we just mentioned, Bobby Lashley said he's going to send Braun Strowman to the morgue, which is something that they would typically not touch, uh, anything related to murder. Then Kofi Kingston gave Samoa Joe the finger. And on on WWE Network in recent years, they've even censored Stone Cold Steve Austin doing that. And now Kofi Kingston, the Kofi Kingston is as PG as you get. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's out there flipping off Samoa Joe. So... What have you heard about this change away from the PG era? I understand why they're doing it. They're doing it because they want to attract younger viewers. That's why. Uh, But what have you heard about it? Because I would like to know, what does USA Network think? And I would like to know, what does WWE's corporate sponsors think? Because the corporate sponsors are the reason that they went to PG in the first place. Have you heard anything about any of that stuff?
0: Yeah, so I would love to know what (laughs) USA thinks too. I don't think I'm going to get a response from them, but... Uh, this is something that i had heard they would try to enact uh when they did the third hour deal this like not maybe not to this degree not saying holy shit on the air yeah oh, but yeah. some of this the third hour was supposed to be the edgier hour it was supposed to be what what set every what set that third hour apart was the edginess i don't know if it was to happen to this degree but it was dropped with the quickness i don't know if there's any like coordination there between why they dropped it and all that because if they're going to treat the whole show like that then there's no reason to do a third hour like that but that was what i was told initially and the buzzword that i kept hearing is the third hour is raw right. because it was like almost a parody of itself people saying that um i think that that has a lot to do with it and i think that probably explains Probably this isn't me reporting anything, but it probably re- explains why they nixed that so quickly because they probably realized they needed to go to that full on at least to some degree. It doesn't have to be a bunch of people's ass cheeks out, Jimmy yeah. but yeah I it mean, can be it can be more confrontational
3: their average viewer is is aging and and we all know that the eighteen to forty nine demographic is the one that advertisers care about. And so they have to, they have to uh, tap into a younger audience, and this might help. I mean, I will tell you this. Watching Raw this week, it was an easier watch than it had been. Uh, and, and personally, and I, and I don't want to knock anybody, but I'm not a Baron Corbin guy, as you know, because I've pretty much from the time they called him up, I, I, I said on the show that I don't see money in Baron Corbin. They very clearly pulled back the reins on him this week, even though he's going to be in the main event at, uh, at Extreme Rules uh Shane McMahon who's been the most featured guy on on either show they pulled back on him a little bit something else that i noticed now i haven't looked uh looked at the schedule did they have a smackdown house show on monday night
0: i would have to look because
3: i noticed that there was no roman reigns on raw there was mm-hmm. there was no kevin owens on raw they still had crossover they still had wild card people uh, but to me, it was noticeably thinner. At least it felt like it was a thinner roster than other weeks. And what I'm wondering is if, is if Heyman is going to quietly pull back on the wild card.
0: Yeah, Reigns hasn't wrestled uh, at all since June 24th. So. But he
3: wasn't on the show, though, right?
0: No, no, no. He wasn't on SmackDown and, either. Well, and, okay. I, I know Bischoff wanted to differentiate rosters. And have uh, to. Have Han- to. Hannah mentioned no, they canceled Mondays. SmackDown, and that that happens a lot Yeah, that's why I was wondering.
3: And and I'll say this, too, and, you know, we've talked before about how they have so much talent and they need to find ways to utilize them. I loved what they did with Mike and Maria. I did, too. Because even though, with all due respect to Mike Bennett, the guy's not a needle mover, and he's, you know, no one's going to really buy a ticket to to see Mike Bennett. But it made sense. You had Becky and Seth, who, should I add, are annoying as fuck— when they're they're, they're doing the relationship stuff stuff with them. But it made sense that you would have Mike and Maria, the real-life husband and wife, uh, as antagonists with them. And that whole thing made sense. But I have to ask you this question. Obviously, Maria is legit pregnant. That's not storyline. And so she's going to be going away. And I don't know. No,
0: wants to stay on the road. What? She wants to stay on the road is what I was told today. Really? Don't know if it'll happen, but she wants to.
3: So here's my question for you. They just signed five year contracts, mm-hmm. right? What's the benefit? Because you know, I always ask that, Sean. What's the benefit? What's the benefit of having Mike Bennett tap out to Becky Lynch after he just signed a new five year contract? What do you think the end
0: game is with that? You familiar with Dawn Marie? Yeah. You familiar with the situation that she caused when she was. Let go, release, contract, lapse, whatever it was when yes, she was pregnant. Yes. Hey, there you go. Let that what does that hurt Mike Canellis? Not really. But where do you Not go? Really. Where do you
3: go with him from there after the guy just submitted to two oh five live? They're just gonna put him back down,
0: you think? Yeah, probably.
3: Okay, okay. And and one other thing I wanna say, and, and to some people does this, this might seem like a small thing. Maybe I'm being nitpicky. I believe that you need to take advantage of every minute of television that you're given, right? Now, granted, Mike Bennett knew when he was doing that backstage segment prior to the match, he knew he was going to be tapping out to Becky Lynch. So maybe this is a moot point. But I was so distracted, Sean, in a bad way about Mike Bennett standing there trying to act like the tough guy because he's facing off against universal champion Seth Rollins. And every three seconds he's flexing his pecs and, and going like this with his head and going like this with his arms. And I watched that thinking to myself, what the hell are you doing? You don't look intimidating. You look stupid. Like, why are you standing there flexing your pecs every three seconds? Am I just being overly critical? Because to me, I felt like he wasted his opportunity with television time. Yes. All right. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. But that's just something that I saw, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, you know what you can see right now, Jimmy? My long-form feature on Killer Cross, this weekend's FSW Natural Born Killers show, a style, really, that was founded— that helped found Fightful, the crossover where you got a lot of MMA stars and pro wrestling. But I actually interviewed him in person in Las Vegas. Take a look. Ugh. Sean Ross at Fightful.com. Here with Killer Cross. Killer Cross, I interviewed Phil Baroni a couple months ago. <laughs> okay. Phil Baroni, who was trying to call you out for Bloodsport. <laughs>
2: okay. And he talked about your dad what are what are your feelings about one Phil baroni uh, I love Phil he's a character uh, he's out of his mind which is why we get along if it was booked for me and Phil to be squaring off in of blood sport we would have did it it wasn't and he did great anyways didn't he yeah he did he did how, how did you like your blood sport experience
0: I mean I know that you've got that very diverse background as far as your wrestling style yep. I mean I know that you've you, Seems like you're a fan of Catch's Catch Can wrestling, at yeah. least by the looks of it. So,
2: how was that for you? It was awesome. Uh, working in Bloodsport was a dream come true because uh, I was always a big fan of UWFI growing up, and uh, I, you know, that that sort of platform doesn't exist anymore. So, the fact that they put that together and I was able to be a part of it and contribute something special and unique to the pro wrestling industry on within that rule context, you know, that's uh, that's a great privilege. I had a blast working with Harry and um, you couldn't get somebody, you know, more legit directly from the professional wrestling scene than Harry, so, uh, you know, people said they enjoyed what they watched and paid for and, you know, that's the end game, they enjoyed it, I loved it, you know, and I would love to do it again. As
0: far as, like, MMA-based training goes, catch-as-catch-can wrestling training goes, how much, how much do you put into that, like, or do you work with any notable people, I know there's a ton of wrestlers who, like, work with Josh Rafferty and... And people like that, or are you just hitting up gyms, saying, "Let me get in what I can get in"?
2: Well, I had originally moved to Las Vegas to fight pro uh, about seven years ago, um, and uh, I got into the pro camps, and to be quite frank with you, like. I, I actually just fucking I hated it. I hated it. Like, uh, everyone, you know, like, if you're a man, you most likely at some point in your life, you've wanted to punch someone in the face. So, like, you know, it's glorified. The competition setting on television, you know, makes martial arts and whatnot. Um, everyone wants to punch somebody, on, you know, in the face on TV. But, you know, the reality of it is when you get into a pro camp, it's seven days a week. You're up at 5 a.m. You're doing your road work. You come home. You shower. You have breakfast. And then you go and you practice for nine you know, 10 hours for the rest of the day. If you don't do that, you're going to get your teeth blasted out of your fucking mouth on TV. So I just, I didn't love it enough to pursue it as a profession. I love it recreationally in doing it, but um, I had a great time training when I moved out here. Um, even prior to that, when I was in Canada, Mauricio Vale from the old shoot Day box guard, yes. uh Him and his brother Dita moved up to Toronto, so I was training under them for a while. And then when I came out to Vegas, uh, I was training at uh, Juan Fight Team under leandro and michael costa uh okay. yeah mike jones i mean there was a great people there who was coming through jerome lebanel was uh, there for a while verdun was there wow. machita was there um it was really cool like i got to work with the A lot of really interesting people, so to take elements of that from a previous life yeah. and then bring it into that setting, we're playing striker versus grappler, as you can tell, yeah, um, it was awesome. Like, it's great. As we wrap up, you've worked Lucha Underground, you've worked, blood, worked Bloodsport, you've worked
0: Impact. How do you kind of switch up your in-ring styles, or do you? you just, like, I take the same mentality into all of it? Or, I mean, with Bloodsport, you kind of have to because there are certain rule limitations, no ropes, but... What do you look at uh, to differentiate yourself, or are you more about solidifying just what you have?
2: It's a combination of things. I'll never take the same approach ever. Uh, I'll look at who's on the card for the night. I'll think about the overall narrative, and then I'll think about how to make what I'm doing different that night versus everything else on the card. So there are variances in what people are watching on television. And I've been doing this for five years, so the fan in me is still very much alive. And I remember what I wanted to see as a fan, and I think that... If you live in, like, this egocentric place where I'm the pro wrestler and the fans don't know, you're going to wind up being one of those guys that people can't stand on television, and you don't have, you know, real heat. You have go-away heat. So I think it's important to remember what people want to see, and I think from time to time, you give it to them. Thank you so much. I don't shake hands. I'm not your friend. I'm a bad guy.
0: Hey. Nobody wants to get the starcast flu. Fightful.com, thank you. (laughs) we're back (laughs) big thanks to uh wild boy again for another uh super chat he says how would you guys turn finn heel and join the club i think that's very easy on smackdown uh, jimmy i think it is as easy as doing something mean to mustafa ali
3: i was gonna say maybe they could even uh somehow orchestrate a double turn with him and and nakamura
0: yeah, hey, that's a good one. Because Nakamura, a is, good one.
3: he's got a Japanese connection. You know, I'm a personal big fan of, of Shinsuke Nakamura. I think he's been massively underutilized. I think about that pop he got at NXT Brooklyn. Do you remember that, Sean? Oh, yeah. I think about how over he was in that building and how they've completely underutilized him. I think the crowd wants to cheer for him. Uh, and uh, a double turn like that. And then they bring back the old music. There yeah. you go, Sean. There you go. I like it. I All like right, it. Let's talk about Fighter Fest. Let's do it. So, you know, AEW, Sean, you want to talk about a polarizing entity. You've got pro-WWE people that hate it for really no reason. You've got pro-AEW fans that think that everything that AEW does is the greatest thing of all time. Uh, Sean and I were talking about one writer that reviewed Fighter Fest for a popular wrestling site. Uh, who called it, quote, truly three and a half hours of total nonstop action. The show didn't slow down and build from one match to another, blah, blah, blah. The six-man tag that they had with Omega, the Bucks, uh, Lucha Brothers, and uh, Laredo Kid, this writer's called that an amazing, spectacular, offensive exhibition, 20 minutes of pure nonstop athleticism and storytelling. Uh, And I I showed that to Sean and I said, look, with all due respect to AEW, this is a nonpartisan writer, or I should say partisan writer. This is a biased writer uh, because Fighter Fest was good, but it wasn't great. It was a mixed bag show. And I think you agree with me on that, Sean. And I, I think a lot of people will agree with me on that. It was good, but it wasn't great. Um, I want to say one thing first, and we had talked about this before. I hated the fact that they spoofed the Fire Festival. I hated it. When they, fir- when they first announced Fighter Fest, we talked about it on this podcast, and I told you I hated that they were spoofing Fire Festival. During the, the show, they made fun of it by saying they didn't have enough budget for the models and they didn't have enough budget for whatever else. I hated that they did it. I think that sometimes the guys involved with being the elite, they try too hard to be inside, and they try, try too hard to be cute, and they try too hard to be sarcastic. To me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think that came off indie. I think it came off Bush League, and I think that as a new promotion, you got to be above that kind of stuff. I didn't like it. Uh, what do you think, Sean?
0: I thought it was funny, especially where they were implying that I think it was QT Marshall blew somebody to get the ring in the uh, venue because they couldn't fit it in there. I thought that was very funny. Uh, Other than that, I was like, okay, we could do without some of this. I thought the the fighter Fest or Mm -hmm. the fire Fest parodies on Being the Elite were very funny where everybody was hitting the ring to try to get their luggage. I thought that was funny. Uh, They could have used a little bit less of it, but it didn't bother me as much. What bothered me was that Dark Order shit and – the lame librarian skit that the librarian that thing. that ain't it uh, to to go from <clears throat> the dark order which is not over mm. to the librarians which is the opposite of over it's getting go away heat right now right to Alex Jabealy bless him for bless him for having the connection all that stuff but going from those three things consecutively as you're trying to sell a show Keep in mind, after you start the show with an amazing tag team match, mm-hmm. an amazing star making tag team match, I thought that was a little bit weird.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's a few other points I want to make. I want to talk about the announcers. Uh, I thought, again, I thought Excalibur was really good. I, I, and I, I know that some people, again, have their, their sub, it's a subjective thing. I thought he was really good. Uh, but my issue, again, like I said the first time, is that this is somebody trying to be a serious broadcaster. He's not trying to be a color man like Jesse Ventura or Bobby Heenan. He's trying to be a serious play-by-play commentator, and because he's trying to be a serious play-by-play commentator, lose the stupid mask and lose the stupid name, and that's my opinion. And then on this show, they had another guy named Golden Boy, and I didn't know his background. You told me that he's an esports guy, so he's, uh, it was a one-off. I didn't know that. I thought he For was— now. For now, nowadays. okay. I thought he was a definite step up uh, from Alex Marvez. With all due respect to Alex Marvez, I thought Golden Boy was a lot better than Alex Marvez. My mm-hmm. issue with him, uh, issue number one, is he was uh, whenever he wasn't on camera, he was a clone of X- of Excalibur. Sometimes yeah. it was hard to tell the difference between the two of them. Uh, my other issue is that the fucking guy calls himself Golden Boy. And just like Excalibur, this is a wannabe serious commentator using a stupid nickname. How many times did we see Jim Ross where Jim Ross was having dialogue with the other guys and he would turn to Golden Boy and then he'd be like, oh, uh, that was a pretty good match. And then he'd pause awkwardly because he had to go, Golden Boy?
0: You know well, I mean? um, let's not use Jim Ross as exactly the, the bar in which we know names or anything like no, that. No, no, no. I'm not. The, the, hold on, hold on. The yeah. man literally at the beginning of the women's match said, now don't go make a sandwich right now. Some of the shit. And would say, oh, what about this person? What about that person? No. You're supposed to know. You, you give the background too. You help out with that. Uh, I don't have – I don't care that much about the mask, but I get what you're saying on TNT. The names, I don't give a shit about. Golden Boy is an eSports guy. That's his bread and butter I didn't know
3: that. I didn't know that.
0: But he's fantastic. There are some other guys. Like, instead of Alex Marvez or Jim Ross, and I get it. They want Jim Ross's voice there, I assume. Yeah. Because they want people to turn on TNT and go, I recognize that voice. Who are these people? I understand that. Uh, there are people like Tyler Vols, Todd Kenley, Sarah Shockey. All of those are amazing commentators that are out there right now. And if you want to add a female voice, uh, I thought Sarah Shockey had a breakout performance, WrestleMania weekend, doing a lot of stuff. Todd Kenley was amazing when he did TNA back in the day, so you know he can do it nationally. And uh, I think that Tyler Vols is a guy who could that a lot of people might not know on the national circuit, but is a great commentator. So there are there are not like a shortage of options here. Sure. For JR, I get it. Yeah. Marvez, I don't quite get it.
3: I agree. And and if it was me, I would just go with the two man booth. I would just go with Jim Ross and Excalibur. And and again, when when Excalibur's not on camera, I think he's good. I think he's he's got a good speaking voice. He's knowledgeable. He knows the wrestlers. He knows the moves. He knows their backgrounds. Uh, I think he's really good. It's only when he's on camera wearing that stupid mask that it becomes hard for me to take him seriously. You
0: hate the mask. I hate it. Oh, and I'm for not alone. someone who bankrolled a shit ton of SRS masks, you sure do hate him an awful lot. Do I ask you to wear it while we're doing this podcast? Probably would if they were here, but I don't even have one, Jimmy. I don't have a list in your boy Polo. I don't have a paper mask. I don't have a rubber replica of my head. You don't have I don't a paper. Have
3: we never sent you a paper mask?
0: No, I guess you all missed out on that
3: one.
0: <laughs> okay, when you come I, here, I, don't subscribe I promise. Subscribe to Fightful Select. I just supply <laughs> all the content for it. When you come here, I promise I'll hook
3: you up with a paper mask. Oh, you thanks. got my word. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Jimmy. Of your own face. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I want to say a few more things about, uh, about Fighter Fest. Uh, Riho, I thought, was really good again, just like a double or nothing. I know that she signed a short-term contract. She's not sure if she wants to work in the U.S. or not. Uh, I think she's quite good. So obviously they're hoping that she goes in that direction. Nyla Rose, um, I think pretty green, pretty slow. I understand she serves a purpose. They want to let you know that it's all about equality. I get why she's there. But I will say one thing, though. You know how... Again, Paul Heyman always says, accentuate the strengths, hide the weaknesses. I loved in that match that the announcers, the story they told was that Nyla Rose is lazy. Uh, yes. And I like they did that because she, she's not a great athlete. Uh, she's pretty green, I think, in the ring. She didn't impress me. But because the announcers told that story, it, it made up for everything. You know what I mean? So I thought that was quite good. I really like that. Um, the four-way match. Now, I know that the point of that four-way match with Hangman Page, MJF, Jungle Boy, and uh, who's, sorry, who was the other guy? Havoc, Jimmy Havoc. I know the point of that match was to spotlight Hangman Page because he's going to be wrestling Chris Jericho for the AEW title. With all due respect to Hangman Page, my opinion, MJF, Jungle Boy, money. Money, yeah, both it, of them. Both of them. Both of them. The money is in both of those guys. And watching both of them, I thought, man, those guys are the future. Uh, I really think that AEW needs to kind of wean off the Jungle Boy nickname. I think his real name, Jack Perry, is fine. They can talk about his background and his father. They can use Jungle Boy as you know the nickname, like Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Well, that's if, what you, I would if you listen do.
0: to the Van Vleet interview, highly recommend it. He kind of mentioned he wanted to do it on his own, and that's why he has that. But now everybody knows yes. it's him. Uh, and while he's teaming with Luchasaurus, I don't have as much of a problem with it because that is kind of just fits. It, it's the little, it's the wild out there gimmick, right? is. I mean, look at, look at this. They, they brought up a bunch of people who don't have WDB exposure, and we are sitting here discussing which is best suited to be the main eventer out of three guys that have never touched WWE TV. Yes.
3: And That's I. That's a
0: good problem to have.
3: Yeah. I think MJF is. Now, the one thing I will say about MJF. Uh, uh,
0: scumbag. <laughs> Piece of shit.
3: <laughs> <one thing>, Job. <laughs> the one thing I will say about him, because obviously he's a young kid and obviously uh, uh, he's not handcuffed the way that he is in Snitch. WWE. All right. The one thing I want to say about him is that as they get on TNT and as they start, you know, getting this weekly show, he's going to need to be kind of uh, kept on the straight and narrow, if you understand what I'm saying.
0: He can't exactly talk about finger-banging people's moms no, on the air.
3: No, and he can't be saying about, you know, you're living in your mom's basement, your mom swallows or the hell he was saying. He's going to have to pull in the reins on that stuff. But I, I, I believe that a guy like Cody Rose and a guy like Chris Jericho that have years of experience doing weekly television, I think they get it. And I think that once they have weekly TV, they will pull the reins in on them right now. It's pay-per-view and stuff, and it doesn't really matter, and I think he's getting over. But, and uh, that, w-
0: that was something that Tony Khan at the, the post-fight scrum – Really hammered home. And he was like, hey, a lot of this language, a lot of the blood, a lot of violence will be cleaned up for TNT. This is pay-per-view. Right. I like that he's willing to go the extra mile on pay-per-view. Sure. And now AEW viewers have the owner of the company or whatever the hell his position is on record saying, we clean that shit up on TNT. So there's even like they can take a clip of whoever was there at that scrum put it on the air or put it in a BTE episode and it is automatically in Canon Right. where these people have a reason to not say these things on TNT. Because now the next time I hear a corny WWE promo, I'm going to wonder, okay, why isn't this person getting flipped off? Why aren't they saying, holy shit? Why aren't they using this language? Why aren't they going this extra route? Why aren't they slamming each other through this? I'll say this, this past week in that regard, uh, has me very optimistic for at least uh, how my intelligence will feel after wrestling shows in the future.
3: Sure. Yep, I agree. I want to talk about uh, the last couple of matches. So, Cody, Darby Allen. Darby Allen is one unique human being. Uh, I had never really seen him before, aside from some clips on YouTube. And uh, Darby Allen, I mean, yeah, he's a slender guy, he's not very big um he reminded me and i I, I wrote this on fifo select he reminded me a monkey fighter from Bloodsport. Do you know who i'm talking about
0: yeah i do i do know
3: so monkey fighter would like roll in get in a strike roll out and stuff darby allen is an agile guy he was doing a lot of stuff like that but i will say this he's a young kid who needs to be smart because that coffin drop spot he is lucky that he did not break his back doing that, onto the hardest part of the ring, falling down onto the side of his back How do you
0: know it's the hardest part of the ring? Have we ever been told that definitively, Jimmy, by an announcer?
3: I don't think it's ever been mentioned, Sean.
0: Well, I agree with you on that spot, but I'll play devil's advocate. This is the biggest match he's ever had in his life. Uh Without a doubt, bar none, biggest match of his life. And I was okay with the spots that he did there. He does need to scale it back and make it a little bit special. I've had the pleasure of seeing that guy live. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable.
3: Yeah, he, he's a very unique guy, and I, I see money in that kid. Now, uh, the chair shot has been much talked about. Uh, it's stupid. I, I, now, I want to ask you this. So they came out afterwards, and they said it was supposed to be gimmicked. Do you think they were just covering because of the negativity that came out for that spot?
0: I don't know. I'm about 50-50 on that, because I I would like to think they're smart enough to know that they just can't do that anymore. Unless
3: they wanted to make a statement. Unless Cody said, I want to make a statement. you know. Yeah,
0: and the thing is, what's done is done, and I can't finger-wag it any more than I have. I hope a good story comes out of it. I hope something comes out of this sacrifice that, that we saw.
3: Now, I will say this, I felt like they dropped the ball a little bit with, the, what, with what the story of that match should have been because the story of that match was supposed to be that it went to a draw, uh, and in the last couple of minutes, we saw Cody you, you know, kind of showing some urgency and, and, and trying to get the pin. You know, this reminded me of it. I don't know if you've ever seen this. When Dustin Rhodes was a rookie in WWE back in 88 or so, there was a storyline where Dusty Rhodes was in a program with Ted DiBiase, And Ted DiBiase wrestled a 10-minute match with Dustin Rhodes on television. And Dustin Rhodes made it to the 10-limit time limit. And that, to me, was reminiscent of this. And I almost wondered if Cody kind of went back at that because I'm sure he's aware of that match. I wonder if he went back and looked at that and that, that was the catalyst for doing this. The problem was I felt the announcers really didn't put over the fact that Darby Allin made it to a draw with Cody Rhodes. Not to the level that they should have. Uh, so I felt that they kind of dropped the ball on, on that a little bit. But Darby Allen to me, made a really great impression. I just want the kid to be a little bit safer. But I understand what you're saying. Biggest match of his career. He wanted to make a statement. Unfortunately, the chair thought, I thought, uh, kind of overshadowed his performance. Unfortunately, yeah. So that was kind of problematic.
0: Darby Allen is immediately considered on the level, or at least above what he, what he was. Right. Uh, Chris Williams sent a super chat and said, I don't get MJF. He comes off as a knockoff white Del Rio with scarves and facial expressions. Well, here's the difference. Alberto Del Rio is verified on Twitter, and MJF <laughs> isn't. So. Awesome. Let me just, uh, let me just say well, this. Well, I mean, what do you think of that comparison?
3: Uh, I, I compare him more to, a, to a, uh, uh, an uncensored Miz mm-hmm. than to Alberto Del Rio. But let me just say this. If you, I'm sure everybody knows who Chris Van Vliet is. Uh, we did the first Fightful Feast with him. Look up Chris Van Vliet's interview with MJF. On YouTube, It is one of the funniest damn interviews I've ever seen in my life, and most of it is improv. It was basically done in MGF's uh, hotel room, and while room service comes to his door, they keep filming. It is freaking hilarious. What I like about MGF is that MGF can think off the cuff. He can think on his feet oh, like yeah. that. Uh, and and but again, he's young and he needs to understand the limitations when you're doing network television. But uh, I think he will, and so uh, we'll see how that goes. Now I want to talk about the six-man tag for a minute: the Bucks, Omega, Laredo Kid, and uh, and the Lucha Brothers. Uh, again, what did that writer say for that website? He said an amazing, spectacular, offensive exhibition. Twenty minutes of pure nonstop athleticism and storytelling. So I agree that the Bucks are not my guys. I've talked about it before. I agree that they are very athletic and they're very innovative and there was a lot of innovative athletic offense in this match but to me it was a chaotic spot fest train wreck is what it was to me i don't know who the legal man was the referee would count with both hands when there was three pins going on at once it was a chaotic train wreck spot fest to me, and uh, so I didn't see how that how a lot of guys put it over as the greatest thing in the history of the universe. What, I didn't see that
0: when I saw that quote, I thought it was about Cody and Darby Allen. Oh, you did? Yeah, so I was like, okay, I, I believe that I, that match wasn't for me. Uh, yeah. By the way, to touch on the MJF Del Rio thing, I think that's a fair comparison. It's a closer than a lot of them I've seen, mm. but yeah, the the six man tag was just. I see what they're doing. they got to get some people some wins. The, the wins and losses do matter. But it, it just isn't for me when you've got a referee there staring at all six people in the ring. Not even oh, – we're, hey we're supposed to believe that wins and losses matter, but we're not supposed to believe that rules matter. Right. And you've got a ref sitting there double counting the shoulders. Like why? I find Just, that just the, make it a tornado tag.
3: I find the Young Bucks are, are more performance artists than wrestlers. Because what they do is they plan out the next big spot, then there's a near fall, then they plan out the next big spot. And again, a lot of their stuff is very innovative and they're very athletic, and especially Nick Jackson. Uh, he'll do something where he's in the ring and he doesn't move on one guy, and then he's immediately out of the ring jumping on another guy, and he does it f- like fluidly. And so he's a very athletic guy, and again, they're very innovative. But I, to me, yeah, I, I like sense in my matches. I don't understand where that writer said it was great storytelling, because aside from them pretending to be the Street Fighter guys... I didn't really know what the story was, aside from that. That's just my opinion. And, and again, it's subjective. If people loved it, cool. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't, right? Now, one last question I have for you. Mox and Janella, and you and I kind of went back and forth on Twitter a little bit, but I don't think you understood my point on this. So I asked on, uh, on Twitter during this match, was it explained why these guys are having this match? And a lot of people mistook what I was asking to, to to mean? How do you not know it's an unsanctioned match? They said they've, it's an
0: unsanctioned match. They've had several promos. I mean, but back and forth, back and forth. I mean, <coughs> Joey Janela is like taking exception to the fact that John Moxley was what he was on the independent circuit, which is what he is now. Left WWE or left for WWE, became this sanitized version, and just thinks that he can walk back and be exactly what he was prior. I mean, that was. That was one of uh, Janela's promos ahead of this.
3: So Okay, so they developed enough of a rivalry to warrant this kind of a violent match. Did they? I don't I know. Mean, I'm
0: asking. It's, it's the reputation that they've had preceding this match. That's the reputation of the two violent competitors that they were trying to kind of go at each other and prove that— They're the most violent. violent. I was completely fine with it. I love the idea. All right. I
3: I guess for me, my issue, and because again, they have to understand, AEW has to understand that they're not going to have a hardcore fan base for every show. So for me, the the issue I had was I missed the pre-show. And a lot of people are going to miss pre-shows or they're going to tune in late to shows. There was no video package explaining why they were having this violent, hardcore match. And so for me, who missed the pre-show and who doesn't watch Being the Elite every week, I watched it thinking, why are they having this this violent, hardcore match when, at least at that point, they hadn't explained the rivalry between them. Now, granted, I guess if I if I watched being the elite, if I saw the pre-show, I would have known, but I didn't, and so that's why I didn't know. Why are they having this
0: heated match? That yeah. was only, that was my main question about it. Now, I want to touch on a comment, and they didn't send a super chat, so I'm not going to shout them out. But uh, somebody saying, "Oh, fake outrage over the chair shot is funny." A chair shot's disgraceful, but jumping off a 20-foot ladder through another human on a table is fine. Let me know uh, the comparisons and how many concussions you get jumping off a ladder compared to the chair shot. The idea that... Oh, well, all wrestling is dangerous, so just everything is okay. That's the dumbest shit I have ever heard.
3: And actually, you can ask a lot of wrestlers, you know, how much does it hurt to jump off a ladder and uh, take do a spot with a guy through a table? Is actually a pretty safe bump. It's a pretty safe spot.
0: Yeah, especially considering the two people who were doing it who have done it a million times. Jose Flores says, would pay good money to see Jimmy watch the Usos cut a promo while Excalibur was cutting... <laughs> The interview on camera. <laughs> I wonder if we can somehow arrange that somehow. And Danielle, Beal Petrovic says top opinions on the NBA draft. SRS and Jimmy Van, my friend. I did a three-hour podcast on the NBA draft and free agency. I'll talk more about free agency when uh, Alex and I have some time. Uh, the, yeah, we, we do that sometimes at the end of Raw, SmackDown, but yep. I want Kawhi to go to Toronto. I'm happy for a fellow Maysville uh, Maysville uh, person in Darius Miller getting $14 million from the Pelicans. Jimmy, can you match that for me? i got to be the highest paid, verified Twitter user from Maysville, Kentucky, right? Perfect segue to let's go to stupid people. Oh, come on.
3: I was actually just saying to Sean off camera, I can't believe that this has been a seamless live broadcast. Feels good. As far as I know, nothing's fucked up, Yes, that's pretty good. So this first one, this was sent in by our own Melissa from
0: Fifeful.com, probably some shit that happened at her house.
3: <laughs> on July 2nd. So there's a Japanese clothing brand called Miniso, and they sell a line of flip-flops, among other things in Walmart stores across Canada, and I'm sure across the U.S. too. Um, Their marketing is a real head-scratcher, Sean. Have you heard about one of their slogans?
0: No, I can't say that I have.
3: Well, Melissa gave me a picture of it, and this is real. Put this up, Brady. This was in one of the Walmart stores. I'm always 18 when I'm with you. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is real. That was not made up. They really have a marketing slogan for their flip-flops. That says I'm always 18 when I'm with you.
0: That's not advisable. How
3: many directions could we go in with this one, John? Mm. Isn't that now? I read. I read a, uh, an article about this. Apparently, and Nigel, I think, and uh, our Skype group talked about this. I think it's supposed to be a Japanese translation of of, of another slogan. Is I that?
2: Think what, I think Miniso is a Chinese company with Japanese branding. Oh, is that what it is? It's already gone through like two layers. of... Okay.
3: is your mic on by the way because was it wasn't on last
0: week was it not no we can hear him we can hear him good. uh via ambient <coughs> audio but yeah okay
3: good well there you go that's that one this next one this next one sean is amazing on two levels Ooh!
0: Multi-leveled amazement. A
3: two-level amazing story. You're gonna like it. And I looked it up to make sure it's real, and it is. So it was reported by the Kansas City Star on June 13. Fuck, this is a good one. On two levels, Sean. So there is a 71-year-old man out of Kansas City, Kansas. All right. This man robbed a bank. Then he sat in the lobby of the bank waiting for the cops to come and arrest him. All right. He wanted to get caught. Why did he tell the police that he wanted to get caught? He's homeless. He said he'd rather be in jail than at home with his wife. That's amazing. Just as bad. That's amazing part of the story, number one. You know what the second part of the story is that's amazing? They let him go. Because of his age and health, he was sentenced to six months of home confinement. <laughs> How old was he? 71. Oh, that's perfect. I thought that was amazing. Amazing. <laughs>
0: Where is this?
3: Kansas City, Kansas. I
0: love it. I love it. That is amazing.
3: <laughs> that was one of the better stories I think I've ever told on this show. That
0: was multi-level <coughs> amazement. Yeah, multi-level. That lived up to your hype.
3: It did. It did. I thought it was awesome. That's one of my favorite stories. Maybe we can interview that guy because that's pretty awesome. I would love to. This last one. That's good house. Maybe you could go to – how far is that, Kansas,
0: from you? <laughs> I could make it happen.
3: Last one. <laughs> this last one is for the SRS file reported by the UK Sun on July 1. This one, Sean. Okay. So there is a 20-year-old woman out of Glasgow, Scotland. Her name is Lindsay Brown. All right. She bought a swimsuit from a supplier called Paris Swimwear. We have a picture of the swimsuit. Brady, Brady just put up the, the picture of the swimsuit. Okay. She got that swimsuit, all right. Yeah. She ended up sending customer support a complaint why is it, Sean, that she sent customer
0: support a complaint?
3: <coughs>
0: uh, I don't know. I'm com- I'm drawing a blank.
3: She unknowingly wore the swimsuit upside down, which made her vagina stick out. We have a picture of her wearing it. There it is! <laughs> she Andre the giant it. <laughs> now... Uh, one of her friends posted screenshots of her actual message to Pear and Pear swimsuit's message back to her. Put up the first tweet, Brady, that she sent to Pear. And she sent them that photo, too. She said, you have to look, you have to look at the, the little tiny thing. She said, hey, I wore that swimsuit today and it stretched like anything. I only wore it for a couple of hours. My vagina was hanging out constantly Is it meant to stretch like that. And then she included the picture. Put up Pear's response. <coughs> Hi Lindsay, I'm sorry you were embarrassed by your swimsuit. I've had a look at the picture you've sent and I believe you're wearing the swimsuit upside down. The swimsuit you've ordered is the one is this one and it should look like this and then they showed pictures of other people wearing it. Isn't that Amazing. This
0: has to be a work, right?
3: Uh, Well, I looked up these girls, because I always do my due diligence on this stuff. I looked up these girls. They have almost no followers on social media, Sean. Well, maybe that's the problem. Well, maybe. I think it's legitimate. And what happened was, in her defense, apparently she had a few drinks that day. Apparently she started the day wearing the swimsuit correctly. Went to the bathroom, came back out, has it on upside down with her vagina hanging out. So... (coughs)
0: <coughs> oh man. There you go. Well, I think that's about it, guys. I think we're wrapping up. But hey, we're back live. Now I want
3: to say, I... sorry, I want to cut you off real quick. I was gonna talk about WWE's UK television situation huh? because it's a very interesting situation. We're low on time this week. Uh our QA that we're gonna do with me on FIFO Select, somebody had asked it about it. I will address it on uh on Fightful Select. So check that out because it is a very interesting situation with their hey, UK. Hey,
0: that's time for my plug. Fightful Select. This week's 2K or uh, 205 UK uh, NXT show will be on Friday as Warren's doing a little bit of a move. So the retro review, AWA Superclass 3 goes up tonight. My Fightful Backstage Report podcast goes up tonight. Next week I have a Q&A, but this week Jimmy Van has one. Go over there, subscribe. It's like the, the price of a sodi pop a week, Jimmy. If you would believe such a thing. That's it. That's it. But this weekend, we have a lot going on. Warren with the New Japan G1 uh, (laughs) Dallas recap uh, here on Fightful. I'll be doing UFC 239. That is a massive show. So if you haven't subscribed to our MMA channel, go do that. It's YouTube.com slash Fightful MMA Boxing. I will share the video over here on this channel as well. But if you're watching live on YouTube, remember... You want your question answered, you want your statement read, send a super chat. But even if you don't, leave a thumbs up. I'm back here on this channel Sunday night for Slammiversary, The official three year birthday, third birthday of Fightful Jimmy.
3: Holly Holm, Amanda Nunes, who you got? Amanda Nunes. I do too, and I really want her to win. And you know why I want her to win?
0: So she can have so she will have beaten every featherweight champion ever. That's not the
3: reason. Why? I want her to win because she has gone on record to say that if she beats Holly Holm, she wants her next fight to be her retirement fight against her fiancé. It's awesome, isn't that it? That is amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, they're down to fight each other. It's great. They it's are. great. So I hope she wins. I hope she wins.
0: Guys, thank you all so much. Until next time, we are out. Subscribe to Fightful on YouTube for the latest exclusive podcast, interviews, and news across boxing, MMA, and pro wrestling.